that's the name of the show. Do good, feel good, now you're in the know. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. It's been a long time since we've recorded, but we have a very special guest in his house tonight. And he is... Chris Parkinson. What's up, Chris? How are you doing, Lauren? It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great. Are you in your house? I'm in my house, yeah. And I got to tell you, it's a little, it's not strange, but like it's always, I've done a couple of podcasts for other people. And as you know, I have my own podcast, um, the DC Yoga podcast, and I'm usually on the other end of the microphone. So it's it's always really fun for me to be on this side and um, be able to just, you know, answer questions to to the degree that I can about my own experience. Well, we're excited to have you. Um, I think it's a little weird to record podcasts remotely because they can't see your expressions or like what you're thinking about <laughs> a question. So just know out there, Pod Nation, that we are practicing social distancing and not hanging out. Totally. Um, well, we're, we're, we are distant, but maybe only like by a half a mile. So maybe not as distant as, as other people are. Yeah, I feel like it's probably a quarter mile. Yeah, maybe not even. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and we've got listeners all over the globe now, just an FYI. That's very cool. Thanks. But in- where is the where is the most like random place where people are listening? And I'll share I'll share the one with that for my podcast too. Okay. And listeners back home, we will definitely get into like the nitty gritty of yoga, which is what we're going to talk about today. But I'm just going to quickly look this up. Um, while I'm looking it up, why don't you tell people who you are and how I know you? You can just tell them, even though that should be the host job. (laughs) Sure. Uh, So my name is Chris Parkinson. I'm the group fitness manager at uh, Vita Fitness at the Yards location. Um, I teach group fitness. I'm a Pilates instructor. I am a personal trainer. Um, And uh, I am the leader of Vida's yoga teacher training program that Lauren is now taking with me wonderfully. Um, And uh, yeah, my main uh, love is yoga, but I've been kind of drawn into doing all other kinds of fitness over the last 10 years or so. Awesome. And you have your own podcast. I do. I, I started the DC yoga podcast about two years ago, I guess at this point. Uh, with the intention of creating a space or a um, uh, creating a, something for people and for yogis and for yoga teachers, a resource for them to know, learn more about yoga in the DC area without having to pay money for it. Um, I find that a lot of yoga studios have a pretty high price point for taking yoga classes. And I find that even with those yoga classes, all you're really doing is asanas or postures, and you don't really get to learn a whole lot about meditation and pranayama and the philosophy of yoga. And if you need to do that, or if you want to do that, you have to take a uh, yoga teacher training course, which can cost thousands of dollars. And so um, I created the podcast so that people could learn more about yoga without having to pay a whole lot of money, um, be able to find out about and learn about experiences of uh, their favorite yoga teachers um, and their favorite yoga studios uh, without having to pay an arm and a leg. And also to give exposure to yoga teachers and yoga studios in the city. That's awesome. Um, so my podcast hosting platform is really slow. 
and I'm waiting for it to <laughs> continue. So I know that like your main focus is like the DC area, but yeah. how far has your podcast reached? So I actually have, uh, I've got listeners. Well, I mean, I'm through SoundCloud, so I, so I don't really like know, no, but uh, I've got listeners in uh, India and Australia, um, listeners in the Netherlands, um, listeners in Argentina. Um, so some pretty, pretty far flung areas. Nice. And do you ever actually get feedback on your podcast? Like do people email you or like connect with you to tell you about it? Or because <laughs> I like never get any feedback on either one of my podcasts. Yeah, I don't either. So I, I started at the beginning when I first started podcasting, I would always begin and end the episode with, you know, if you have questions or you have comments or there's a yoga teacher you want to see on the show, then just email me at, you know, dcyogapodcast at gmail.com uh, and send me your, you know, your questions. And I haven't gotten any responses. Yeah, it's really so, bad. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I feel like maybe that's, you know, more like my fault for not promoting that avenue a little bit more and promoting more interaction. But then on the other hand, I, I also think, I mean, my put my yoga podcast probably averages about 100 to 120 listeners a week. So maybe like 500, 600 a month. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's a critical enough mass for people to be really interactive with it yet. Yeah, unless you have like some mega fans. It, totally. And sometimes I wonder if the people who are on the shows are the ones that actually go on um, and like leave reviews on iTunes. <laughs> Possibly. Because um, I saw that I did look at the reviews for your podcast to see um, what people were saying. And I know that like the Michael Joel Hall episode yeah. was referenced. And I was like, hmm. But I, I mean, I don't really see him doing that. Um, yeah, I don't really see him doing that either. <laughs> okay. My... I, I can't find the name of this country calling it, but it's like the something Republic of Alfron. I think it might wow. be in like Iran. I'm not sure, but it's definitely different because I have never heard of it and I have no idea how to pronounce it. So, and it's definitely not in the United Nations or I would have known about that. So are you like an expert on the United Nations? Is I'm not an expert on the United Nations. However, like geography is one of my things and I, I'm pretty com pretty confident on the countries of the world, oh. not their capitals, but I'm pretty pretty confident on the countries and where they are. Okay, well, wow, Chris, you've got a lot of expertise, and we have a lot to cover in this podcast. I'm pretty I'm pretty good, like on trivia night, to be honest with you, just not with music, but everything else, I'm good. Okay, good to know. I'll have that in the um, info of this podcast. Um, so. I wanted to, well, I've been wanting to like talk to you for a while on the podcast, just so you can like share your story and talk about how yoga has like benefited your life. Um, we've been focusing mainly for like a year on the, on the do good, um, but not really mm -hmm. a lot on the feel good. And I know that yoga offers both. Um, but I thought like mm -hmm. in these insane times, maybe we could have like a few special episodes where people just provide like tips for staying sane and, um, just ways to like feel grounded during this crazy time. So maybe we can talk about why you got into yoga. Sure. Be happy to. Um, so I got into yoga uh, about nine years ago, I guess at this point. Um, and uh, I was, uh, I was an attorney uh, doing litigation. Uh, I was working probably 12 hour days. And on top of that, because I didn't, I didn't really, I was not, I, I was a fine, I was a good attorney. I just never really was happy doing it. 
Uh, and as a result, um, I was self-medicating with lots of drugs and lots of alcohol. Um, not illegal drugs, but drugs I could get from um, like legally over the counter, not over the counter, but for the prescription drugs. So, for example, I had a, you know, because I suffered from depression, one of the things that I became addicted to was Ritalin. Um, and so I would then get my Ritalin prescription to make me stay awake during the day. Um, and then I because I would be really, you know, going bonkers at the end of the day, I would have to take my Valium to calm down. And then because I couldn't sleep at night, I would have to take sleeping pills. Um, and on top of that, I would drink pretty much every night. I was addicted to alcohol as well. I am an addict. Um, and uh, this was kind of a cycle that I was going through for about two years and um, longer than that with the Ritalin and the prescription drugs, but the alcohol on top of it. So at some point, I got into a relationship uh, where I really did fall in love with this uh, woman and I was really psyched about her and um, the relationship just didn't work out. And I ended up being like that crazy person who sends like really spiteful and hateful emails and really is, you know, the worst person in the world. Um, and at that point, you know, people had told me like, Hey, you need to slow down and stop doing this. But at that point, I realized, you know, I've got to stop this. Like I, I am just the most miserable, worst person in the world and I'm doing it all to myself. No, no one is doing this to me. No one's making me take these drugs. No, one, no one's making me take this alcohol. And the whole reason I'm doing it is because I don't like my job and I don't like where I'm going with my life. Um, and so I had always been an athlete and had been doing triathlons. Uh, so of course I've been working out, you know, really vigorously doing cardio while I was doing all these drugs and alcohol. Um, and someone suggested that I try yoga because it was a more gentle form of physical exercise. Uh, and it was a, a more of a way to kind of become more grounded and a way to uh, get out of sort of the cycle of um, violence that I had found myself in. And I went to a class at Stroga, uh, which was a place that used to used to be a yoga studio up in Adams Morgan. Uh, and I really liked the class. I was shocked by how physically demanding it was. Uh, and so I went back for more. And then a month after I started my first yoga class, I signed up for a yoga teacher training course uh, and did my yoga teacher training there. So um, one of the things that I had always found, you know, that about working out and lifting weights and running and cycling and all that was that it pumped me so full of adrenaline and that adrenaline was just a drug just as long, just as much as the alcohol and just as much as the Ritalin was. So when I found yoga, it was really, I, I approached it the same way. I, I was really aggressive. I really tried to do all these arm balances and handstands and try to get the best workout I could. And after about eight months or nine months of that, I, I kind of found myself on my mat, like thinking, what the fuck am I doing? Like, like I'm just doing the same exact shit on my mat as I'm doing in my personal life. Like, why am I doing this to myself? Um, and it was then that the yoga really started to kick in and was sort of like, you know, compassion for yourself, uh, first and then love for yourself and then, um, gratitude for what you have and focus on these things instead of all the other things that you hate in life and things might get better for you. Okay. I jotted down a lot of notes during that and I have a few questions. Um, <laughs> so it. when you started yoga, did you essentially immediately become sober or was it like a process yeah so um when i when i when, I, when this girl broke up with me because i was the crazy person mm -hmm. um i uh 
I started my own business. And a part of that was a part of that deal was uh, with myself was I was going to get sober. And so I spent about two and a half weeks uh, going through withdrawal and delirium tremblings from the alcohol. Um, same amount of time at the same time, I gave up the Valium, which um, benzodiazepines, which Valium is a part of is also like alcohol, physically addicting. Uh, and you're not supposed to go off a cold turkey because it literally can kill you. Um, but I, I did that. Uh, and so I suffered some withdrawal with severe withdrawal symptoms. Uh, and when I was in the middle of those withdrawal symptoms, I was so grateful that I was doing it because uh, I had no idea that this is what I was doing to my body. Uh, and I said to myself, you know, I'm only doing this once. I'm not doing mm -hmm. this again. <laughs> like I, I'm not going through this with these, the, the, I'm not doing this again. So I'm doing it now and I'm giving it up. Uh, and people sometimes say to me, they go, well, wasn't that hard? Like, wasn't that difficult? Like, why don't you do a 12 step program? And um, for me, it was, I literally was looking at it. Like, if I don't do this, I'm going to yeah. die. So I have to do it. I have to do it. Uh, there was no option. It wasn't like I decided to do it. I didn't have an option. It was either die. Or so did you plan. like go to a facility? I didn't. I did it all. Yeah. I feel like people back home who are trying to be, get sober, this isn't the path for most of you, I assume. No, this, I, I would not, I would not recommend this for anybody. <laughs> um, do you, so the person that you were after like finding sobriety, do you think that was like yeah. the same person that you were before you started like getting into drugs and alcohol or, um, I mean, I know that you've also, you obviously learned a lot through yoga, but like the Chris that yeah. we all know in our yoga teacher training in Avita is like very calm and you do cuss in your classes, which I actually think is like funny and I like, so I don't feel like you're exactly like an all the time. Like I feel like when people think about yoga, they think about like super tranquil people who are always very calm and I don't really think you give that vibe. Um, but I, I can't totally. really, I just want to know like the difference between the person you were before you got yeah. sober and the person after, I know that was a long winded question. So I think, I think kind of in my own experience with, um, with drug and alcohol abuse is that you don't, you're always to me anyway, I was always the same person inside. In other words, the, the person who I was before I started doing all the drugs and alcohol, um, uh, say for example, when I graduated high school, before I really started getting into drugs, that that's the person who I am now. Like, so I've sort of reverted back to that person who my parents raised. Um, and that that person was still there during my drug and alcohol uh, abuse. It's just that that person very rarely shone through the, the haze of drug and alcohol. And once the drugs and alcohol were gone, that person who would show up maybe half an hour or 45 minutes during the day is now showing up nine, 10, 12 hours a day. So the cleaner I got, the more myself I became. Awesome. Um, so no I don't, I've never told you this and I was, I feel like, I mean, I was hoping that there'd be a period of time in our class where we all kind of like shared personal stories and like cried together. I've just been assuming that that was going to happen. <laughs> Um, but my dad like overcame a drug addiction and he's been sober for like six years, uh, also like drugs and alcohol. And when he got sober, he also came out of the closet and converted to Judaism. So it was like a really big year. Um, but I feel like the person that he is now is still like pretty much the same person he was when he was on drugs. But 
like coherent like he's still like a pretty big narcissist and doesn't really like invest in relationships um so I think it's like really cool and admirable that you are able to like tap back into yourself oh I appreciate that's kind of you to say um I I think people who 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 know me uh you know more in more depth would say my ego is pretty large (laughs) but but here's the thing, Lauren, with that is that when you're when you're on drug when you're on drugs and alcohol and you suffer from addiction, you're not aware of any of these. Um, and one of the things that yoga has taught me, and one of the things sobriety has taught me, is that I'm aware the moment I start to feel selfish or I start to feel like I'm asking somebody uh, something inappropriate. Whereas when you're on drugs and alcohol, there is no filter whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And you literally are just reactive to every situation. You don't actually make any decisions on your own. All you do is react to other people. And that's why people who are on drugs and alcohol can seem so selfish because, because they're never actually doing anything for anybody else. They're just reacting on their own behalf to other people's Mm -hmm. behavior. And it's, 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 I, I don't wish drug and alcohol abuse on anybody because the, the, families who who deal with drug and alcohol they go through an awful lot but the person themselves who's in that drug and alcohol abuse they are suffering more than you oh, can possibly I know imagine. and I feel like selfish was like a terrible word to use um yeah no not at all you're it's absolutely correct to use and I don't think I mean I I, I would I would just preface it by saying that I don't put good or bad on selfish like I, I just think that you know there is some behavior that is more self-centered than others. And it can be good. It can be bad, whatever. I mean, you know, the thing with the good and bad, and maybe we'll get to that story later on, but, um, but, but yeah, like the person themselves, they suffer the most in that. Um, and, and you, what the thing is, especially with drug and alcohol abuse and, and with depression as, as well, is that you start to become addicted to the suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why it's so hard to give up drugs and alcohol is because you can't imagine a world in which you don't suffer and that that world can seem so scary because it could be worse than the suffering you're already going through that it doesn't even enter your mind to end your suffering because 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 the suffering is all right. you have. That's where you claim yeah. to. Yeah, and like I'm sure like the fear of feeling actual emotions that aren't like clouded by drugs is probably absolutely horrifying. Sure, because because it could be because you always think well it could get right. worse. You never think like it could get better. Your your optimism is completely shattered and torn to pieces when you suffer from depression and you add drugs and alcohol to the mix. Well, on that note. Oh, oh and by yes. the way, by the way, we do, we, we, the, the circle at the beginning of yoga teacher training, that's usually where everybody like cries, but no one did it this year. So um, I was actually, you know, me and Christine and Julia sort of, sort of chuckled about that after the first weekend, we were like, wow, that's really weird. Cause that's usually when people like do all the crying and, who knows? Maybe it'll, we're not done training yet. So maybe it'll happen on the last Yeah, day. or maybe like any of the reunion days since we are like pausing this for so long. Exactly. Um, but on a, on a better note, kind of, we're like going to transition into like becoming happy now. Um, sure. So I feel like during this time, we're all stuck inside and we are like lacking all the social interaction that I didn't think that I like needed that much. But just like, the fact that I don't walk by people and like have casual small talk in the office, like those tiny interactions are like, they actually mean a lot to me and they like help my brain function. Um, so like, yeah. there's just so many aspects of our lives that are like completely different. And I think 
because of that we don't know what to do so my friends and I and I think like a lot of society is like drinking more and we're just like drinking staring at our computer screens like talking to our friends but still we're drinking alone Um, maybe you could provide some tips to people like some with yoga inspiration just like stay sane during this time and maybe like not drink every night totally um so I guess I would preface this all by saying that um drinking alcohol just like anything else is is neither good or bad i mean it, it depends on every each, each, each situation is different for me it 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 doesn't help um but for some like if if they have a healthy relationship with it it, it can um having said that you know i don't it's not healthy with or without alcohol with with or without alcohol for us to be sitting in front of our computers talking to each other that's that's definitely not healthy um and i guess what i would say is during these times when you're at home by yourself um, and you feel completely isolated from other people and you do miss that human touch, um, calling people and talking to people it is as good as we're going to get. Um, and instead of comparing it to what we had previously, you ought to look at it as a new world that we live in and one in which you can get a lot of, if you have the right attitude and you approach conversations in a way where you really want to listen to somebody and not just unload your bullshit on them, then you can have just as awesome and as loving a conversation with somebody over the phone or through Zoom or FaceTime or whatever you're doing um, as you can in person. Because Really, when you're when you really actually listen to somebody and you really are completely present in a conversation with somebody, you you don't have to be there. Um, It's one of the reasons why we can open up a book of poetry or read a book and feel completely engrossed in it because the author is explaining something in a way that really connects with us. And I, I think most everybody who's listening would, would agree that like reading a book or listening to a song or, or doing something like that can be totally, totally um, transformational, um, even though we're not there with the author themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need to kind of look at it that way, where being present in the conversation is more important than the fact that you're not actually physically with the person. Um, and then the other thing I would suggest for people who are out there is it's, it's really easy in times like this to think about the way things were and compare them to the present moment and living in a, uh, living a life where you're constantly comparing the way things were to the way things are now, um, is fine, but go, it can go too far. You can get stuck in doing that. So the only thing that you're really thinking about is the differences um, and then putting good and bad labels on them. Uh, And that kind of stops you from seeing the opportunities that exist in the present moment and in the future, because you're always so concerned about what happened in the past. Uh, And it takes a degree of um, fortitude and it takes a degree of courage to look at life that way. Uh, But once you do, it's like a muscle. The, the more you do it, the more used you to it you get and the, and the better, easier it gets. Um, I'll give you one really uh, good, quick and dirty thing you can do. Not dirty that way, but dirty, like in terms of like, I'm just going to explain it to you. <laughs> um, 
uh, one, one thing you can do at home is um, it's a meditation. It's not really a meditation. It's more like a reflection. But if you can sit still and you don't have to close your eyes, but it can help. If you can sit still for five minutes of the day um, and just in your mind, picture or think of something you're grateful for in your life, um, that can make you feel good. Uh, and this, a lot of people, I think, confuse this in a lot of, with deluding yourself. It's not a delusion to say to yourself, I'm really thankful for the person who dropped off my groceries today. It, it, that's not a delusion. You are thankful for them. It's just a question of whether or not you feel it. And by saying to yourself, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for um, the fact that I have a job still. I'm thankful for the fact uh, that my mother sent me a sweater for Christmas. Uh, I'm thankful for, and if you keep doing this over and over again, you'll start to feel that gratitude and it's real gratitude. Um, and it really does work. You know, if you can do that for five minutes or 10 minutes a day and just think of the things you're thankful for, you'd be surprised because the things that you're not grateful for, the things you wish you had, that's the delusion. Thinking that you are better off if you have something and wishing for it, that's the delusion. Because even if you get that thing you're wishing for, well, once you get it, you're going to wish for another thing. Mm -hmm. And you end up saying to yourself, I'll be happy when I get a better job. Well, then you get a better job. Well, I'll be happy when I buy a house. Well, I'll be happy when I buy a house. In other words, you're happy for just a moment when your dream actually comes true. And then you're wishing for somebody else, something else, and you're not happy again. And doing these, these practices in gratitude makes you happy now and, and makes you learn that you have very much more to be grateful for than you could ever wish for. Right. Because wishes are just are just the delusion. The wishes of the delusion. Being grateful now for stuff that you actually have. That's reality. Um, and grounding yourself in reality and where you are is the best way. And I've already said it to ground yourself. Right. To stay out of your own mind in this area of um, imagination and memory. Wow. That was a lot. But um, so do you. No, sorry. I no. tend to ramble a little bit. I feel like you never <laughs> even said like the word um or like it just felt very fluid. And I, I wrote a lot of notes down yet again. So do you feel like you're sometimes a therapist? Oh, in, in a way, sure. I mean, um, a lot of what I do is uh, based in interpretations of yoga scripture that have um, a, a lot of um, a modern a modern interpretation would include a lot of what we would call cognitive therapy, for sure. Um, I view these texts as a type of cognitive therapy because um, they're originally written down as, as sacred texts, as religious texts. Um, and I don't, uh, I don't, you know, it's, it's weird. And I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this proudly for the first time maybe ever All right, publicly. this is the first this is the I, I would I, I proudly I proudly consider myself a Hindu <gasps> right now <laughs> you heard it here first world <laughs> I mean well no in a way that like you know I don't I don't worship at the altar of Vishnu and I don't do daily prayers in that sense but in terms of seeing the, the scriptures I consider sacred in life that I turn to the most are, are the ones from India um and since I don't worship Shiva and I don't, I don't worship that way. 
one of the ways one of the ways these do affect me um, is is my my uh, my brain, my mind, uh, and that's what they were meant to do. They were meant to clear your mind so that you could devote your life to God. Um, and so I I I wholeheartedly consider these these as as cognitive therapy in, in a modern sense, even though you know technically I'm not a therapist. During this time, I felt like a lot of frustration and like confusion and just feeling like I don't like have a routine and trying to adjust my life to feel like somewhat normal. Um, But I really appreciated you saying like, just don't compare it to the life you had before. It's still really, really hard. Um, Can I say something about that really quickly? Um, So I think there's, there's a couple at very, at the very least, a couple different ways to react to the ongoing situation. Um, that I've noticed anyway. And, and one of them is uh, people who set aside the doubt and get to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their, their kind of their, their principal motivation is to stay busy. Uh, and so they've had no problem transitioning. I am not one of those people. <laughs> I, am, I am more the type of person uh, who does feel confused in these times and is frustrated in these times. And my advice to myself and to other people who are feeling that way is to stay with that frustration and to stay with that confusion and let it pass. Because if you are confused and you are frustrated and then you try to set it aside and you try to make yourself do something else and forget about it, you won't be able to, you'll, it'll always but come I, back. In other words, I, yes, staying, staying with it is the surest way to let it go um, without trying to react too much. But I kind of feel like I am one of the people that try to stay busy. Like I are, I have like all these posters I put on my wall that has like all of these goals, all of these trackers, like all these new projects I want to start. And I feel like instead of like sitting and thinking about what's happening and like feeling like empathy and like sadness for people, I'm just trying to do everything I possibly can to never think about it. Yeah. And in that, you know, the question is whether or not is whether that's good for you or whether or not that's a coping mechanism because you you can't process things right now. Um, And that's fine, too. Some of us need to do that and process them later. It makes me feel like I'm a narcissist or something. You know, I think I in that from my point of view, that's a natural way to think about it. But on the other hand, is that productive to think of it that way? You know, is that is that just clinging to um, the sensation and the emotion and trying to make too much of it um, instead of letting it go? Right. There's the there's a story I'll share with you about the about the monks. I think I told you the story about the monks, but if not, I'll, I'll tell the <laughs> listeners. There's 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 two monks who are going home from the market um, and they stop at a river and they notice a woman there who's not wearing barely any clothing. Uh, and she says to them, you know, I, I can't get across the river. The bridges are out both upstream and downstream. Will you help me get across? And the older of the two monks picks her up and throws her over his shoulder and walks right across the river and puts her down on the other side. Um, and then the two monks go back, go on their way back up to the monastery and about 30 minutes later, the younger of the two monks says to the older monk, you know, sir, I'm not sure that was appropriate, like to pick that, 
scantily clad woman up and carry her across the river. Um, and the older monk just looks at him and says, well, I put that woman back down back at the river. Why are you still Ooh. attached to her? That's good. I don't think I've actually heard that one. Right. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good, it's a good way to think about the way we attach ourselves to events, mm-hmm. you know, unnecessarily. Very good insight. Okay. Now let's really jump into the fun stuff. So sure. how have you used yoga to benefit the world? um oh boy you're gonna make me divulge all my secrets Uh, okay Uh, um so i uh, through the through the study and through the experience of yoga i've come to understand that the worst way to change the world is to tell other people what to do uh because most of the time people won't do it Um, And you will just sort of be a a crusader who gets bent on trying to make the world into a place you think it ought to be. And I think that is very narcissistic. I'm not saying don't have causes. But what I am saying is be very careful about the way you go about it. And the way that I've gone about it is I've, I've come to understand and realize is that the best way to get people to change their behavior is for them to do it themselves. Uh, and for me to stop saying things like, you know what, you shouldn't eat meat. Well, that's not like, that's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just me telling you what to do and no one wants to be told what to do. However, if I can, um, if I can provide a space where you feel free to engage in um, compassion and love and gratitude uh, and forgiveness and faith, you may come to the belief that eating meat is not right. Um, And that's a decision I leave to other people. Um, What I'm trying to do is to get people to get out of the reactive mindset the seesawing between good and bad and come to a place where they can make decisions free of those external influences. People tend to think that other people make them do things with a very limited and there certainly are, you know, we're not talking about things like physical violence here. No one makes you do anything. You always decide to do it, do whatever it is you're going to do. And I think, having a clear mind, you can realize that you can take back power from other people. So what I'm doing to change the world, hopefully, is getting people to open up their hearts and their minds to things, the beneficial qualities of life, like I just mentioned, love and gratitude and compassion. And I find that if people can do that, they'll get less angry about who said what, what the fucking Kardashians are doing, who the fuck is president, and really start to see that their lives um, can be much more than uh, sort of bitching. I really appreciate that because I feel like throughout this time, (laughs) I have been, I haven't ever, I haven't cried once except out of frustration with like Trump and his administration and like the right-wing media, which we don't have to get into now. But what I should do, I'm not should, but what I could do um is just be a little more like patient and kind 
and think about ways that I can help people instead of focusing on how frustrating the situation is. Totally. I mean, you've, you've heard the saying, right? That, that hatred is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I haven't, but I like it. Right. I mean, that's, you know, what is the frustration going to do to change the world? Probably Mm -hmm. not much. Is it making you less healthy and happy? Probably a lot. Um, so I, I really love, I really love activism and I really love the people that go out of their way, um, and make it their life's mission Mm -hmm. to do things. But I really, I really, I really resist the temptation of anybody to try to make the world fit any sort of paradigm that they have in mind, um, both liberal and conservative, because this world is full of 8 billion people. And I think what people don't understand a lot of the time is that the 8 billion people in this world decide what happens in this world, not just one person. Um, And even if you are the most powerful person on the planet, say the U.S. president, there is very little likelihood that if you tried as hard as you wanted to, you could actually change the lives of everybody on Mm -hmm. the planet in a way you thought you could change them to. You just can't do it. Because people will resist, people have their, there's free will, people are going to do what they want to do. Um, so, so, you know, causes are great. Let's just not try to make everybody think the same way you do. Because it's not, it's not A, it's not going to happen, A. And then B, why would we want it that way? Why would we want the world to be able to change so quickly just because one person thinks it ought to be that way? Like that would be pretty, that would be a pretty hard world to live in. Preach. Yeah, I was going to say, like, most of the people we have on the podcast either work for, like, a nonprofit or some kind of association. So they're trying to do, like, really big, like, community and societal level changes. Um, But you're focusing more on, like, one-on-one connections. And I think just creating, like, good at the smaller, more local level. Um, When you were a lawyer, like, what kind of cases were you working on? Were they small (laughs) one-on-one or... Ah, well, so like, no, I was doing mostly like big, impersonal government investigations where the government would say, hey, we thought we think you did this wrong um, and we want to see all your documents um, so that we can figure out whether or not we're going to charge you or fine you. Um, it was pretty, pretty dire. Um, before that, I, I started out as a when I first graduated law school doing Clean Water Act cases. Um, so I was an environmental litigator. Uh, and I basically worked in this gray area where I represented uh, permitting authorities uh, and, and municipalities. Uh, and in general, what would happen was the government would say to them, hey, you know, you have a wastewater treatments plant that was built back in the 1940s and you need to spend $10 billion to build a new one tomorrow. Uh, and what we would say is, well, look, that's all well and good, but we don't have $10 billion. So maybe we want to build a facility this way or modify this facility. And the government would say, well, no, you don't have to do that. And there would be this back and forth. And this back and forth, I'm not even joking, Lauren, would last five or six years. So during that time, right? And the reason why I say it's this gray area is because municipalities would have two options. Well, the first option would be to build a wastewater treatment plant that the government wanted them to build. And the only way to do that would be to raise taxes. So that would be taking money out of local taxpayers' pockets that they could spend on their kids and they could spend on groceries, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the other hand is, well, we're destroying the environment and we're giving people drinking water that isn't very clean. Um, 
And we want to change that because we want healthy citizens because we don't want to have people going to the hospital um, and et cetera, et cetera. So you had to balance this, you know, this public good. Um, and in the long term, what ends up happening is because this drives up, draws out over five or six years is no one ends up happy. You end up having less good for the environment, less good for the taxpayers. And the only person who really profited was the attorneys who are representing the municipalities. Like the government certainly didn't get anything out of it. So at that point, it was sort of like, you know, if you really want to change environmental policy, what you ought to do is find a congressman and give him your money and have him sponsor a bill. Like that's the best way to do it. There, there is, you know, suing somebody to change the environment is a dead end. It, it doesn't work. Um, it can work in some other cases, maybe in Superfund cases or Clean Act cases, things like that. Um, but in terms of the Clean Water Act, the cases that I was dealing with, suing somebody just was a, was a non-starter. It just didn't, it didn't ever help anybody. All right. Well, people came here for the yoga and they got some legal advice. So this is just like a really good episode. <laughs> Sorry, you can, you can cut out the last five no, minutes. No, I want to keep want. it. Look, y'all, don't sue people during this time. Um, okay, now we have to jump into the very serious questions. Um, and that is, have you ever heard of a shit corner? I have not. Well, it's basically, I don't even know if you want to do this because you, you just look on the positive side of things, but what would you That's not true. So let me, let me say something here. Like my, my initial, like, so my personality is such that, um, I am a very sarcastic and very, um, a very pessimistic person Mm -hmm. by nature. Uh, and that certainly was uh, heightened by all the drugs and alcohol. I've had to work very hard to, to not be that way uh, as, as, as reactionary in that way. So when I say that the people like yogis, the reason why people are yogis are because they're usually neurotic athletes <laughs> and they need to find a way out of that. <laughs> Most normal people who are well-adjusted do fine without practicing yeah. yoga. So, so, so I have plenty of problems. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about one. What's a recent shitty sure. thing that has happened to you that you just want to vent about? Oh man. Well, so, you know, this morning I, you know, I, I like my sleep and I, someone, someone, a, a member texted me this morning at seven in the morning, well before I get up and was sort of like, you know, I don't like what Vita's doing. I'm, I'm canceling my membership. And I was like, that's great. <laughs> like, I haven't even woken up yet. And this is what you're fucking, like, really? You had to tell me this at 7 Well, in the I mean, it's kind of cool <laughs> that they directly reached out to you instead of, like, filling out the form, like, the email suggested. But I'm not the general manager, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, what am I supposed to do? It was just do? a like, jab. So, yeah. now, after you've identified your shit corner... You can find it yeah. inner tickle, which is like a positive thing that came out of that situation. Yeah. So the positive thing was like, I called her a couple hours later and we talked about it. And, um, you know, I basically explained that I really enjoyed the fact that she kept her membership so long and that that has meant that I get to get paid from Vita um, and that uh, it's really supported me for the last two weeks. And now, <laughs> but now it's not. Well, I mean, hers isn't, but there's certain other yeah, members are. Mine you know? is. Yeah. yeah. All right. You know. Um, okay. What would you say is your life mission statement? Uh, to help people 
realize that they are a lot more than they think they are. I like that. What have you done to stay sane during quarantine that people might not expect? Um, I have practiced a lot of yoga. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say I practice a lot of asana. Uh, and the reason why is because I've had to change from teaching in person to change online teaching and online teaching, you have to do the poses. And, uh, I do a lot of different physical stuff in my job, uh, but I don't always have time to practice, uh, yoga postures. Um, I have time to do restorative yoga postures and to stretch and things like that, but I don't have a lot of time to do sun salutations. I don't have a lot of time to do triangle pose and do all these other poses that I've done a million times. And I've ended up doing them and just having a really good time doing them on my own and really reconnecting with the asana practice that has been dormant for a very long time. And can normal people out there listening to the podcast do these yoga classes? Sure. Sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you you can there's 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 lots of I mean the best the best place to go is a place like yoga. No, Glow. I mean your yoga um, classes. Oh, my yoga classes. Well, my yoga classes, you can get a couple of them for free on SoundCloud. Um, if you go to if you go to Crispy Yoga um, on SoundCloud, and I've got a couple classes there they can listen to. They're from 2015. So, so he sounds um, very you young. Know, just be, be gentle. I'm very I'm very still much a young yogi. And then um, but um, yeah, like the other place you can go is, you know, you can we have Vita has um, virtual memberships now. It's for forty nine dollars a month. Um, so they can do the, they can do that virtual membership and take classes with me on Facebook. Um, the other thing is like, listen to the DC yoga podcast that that's free. And there's so much on there that you can learn about yoga. Um, and it, it's one of those podcasts that's real, you know, I mean, we're not skirting around the issue. We're not talking about like floating in space and like reaching Nirvana. We're talking about the real, you know, the, the demanding part of yoga, which is have, being able to discipline your mind. And your mind wants to fight you back. And it is hard work doing that, trying to discipline your mind. But it is the most beneficial work that you can do in your life. Amazing. I do think, I mean, you know, as much as possible, I know we have the shelter in place order, but um, as much as possible, like going on walks and practicing social distancing, you'd be amazed. Walking is actually technically the, the most beneficial thing for the human body. I mean, we're, we're born walkers, right? And um, to the extent that you can walk, like walk, you know, and then love, love your walking. That's it. Um, I think that's a good note to end on. Now people have tangible things they can do. They can maybe do their, can you, do you think people could do the meditation, the gratitude meditation while walking? Or do you suggest that they sit? So actually I have a different, I have a different suggestion. I suggest you sit for the gratitude meditation, but for the walking, what I suggest you do is, um, during your walk, count each one of your breaths to a hundred. In other words, right. Start your walk and then breathe in and then breathe out. That's one and count to a hundred. Um, it takes about 15 minutes. Uh, and you'll notice that you start to slow down your breathing and you really have to pay attention. And here's the thing. If you lose count, you have to start. Wow, over. I feel like I would have to like stop walking, like physically stop walking and like count again. <laughs> Or like walk very slowly, like staring into the distance, like, wait. But yeah, audience, <laughs> let us know when you send me one of those millions of emails, how that works for you. 
Yeah. Well. Yeah, that's. Sorry. Um, thank you for doing this, Chris. Thank you for having me on, Lauren. It's been a real treat to, um, you know, uh, take a, the lid off my brain and just, you know, dump it into my phone. I, I really enjoy it. Are you so, going to actually um, listen to the podcast? Because I want you to hear what it sounds like when it's edited. Well, I listened to this podcast. Yeah. Possibly. I, 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 yes, I will. How about that? I'll make okay, yes, thanks. I will. <laughs> you have to hear how good it eventually sounds. I think that's Do you great. usually not listen to yours? Uh, I, I listen to mine, uh, usually once after I record it to jot down notes for, um, the show notes. But after that, I don't listen to it. I, I don't, I don't get off on listening to my own yeah. voice. I mean, in the present moment I do, but not yeah. later on. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's very <laughs> obvious that you like it while you're talking. Exactly. Um, but I'll let you know when it's out. Cool. Okay, well, do you want to, do you want to say anything to the audience before we leave? I mean, the only thing I would say during this time is really like, this is a great time to practice compassion with yourself, uh, especially if you're tend to be a type A person and you'll know it if you are, um, you know, practicing compassion is one of the things that doesn't come naturally to us. We tend to be our own worst, um, our own worst nightmares and uh, realize that, that no one out there is expecting you to be perfect. Only you're expecting yourself to be perfect um, and you're not. And the, the more you can realize that and love that, um, and find that that's a source of strength instead of a source of fear, the better off you're going to be. Yay. I like that. And what are, how can people find you online? Uh, well, they can go to uh, Chris Parkinson on Instagram. I'm also Chris Parkinson five on Facebook. Um, and uh, I don't, I don't tweet not yet. Anyway, I'm thinking <laughs> about that. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then DC yoga podcast uh, on iTunes and uh, SoundCloud. Awesome. Well, don't forget everyone out there wash your hands and don't touch anyone yeah that's correct <laughs> okay bye Chris. Now. do good feel good it's the do, do good, good feel good show it sounded sad muy bueno